Welcome to Lilypod episode 64, Seasoned and Desirable. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of Lilypod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Hi, friends. Uh, and welcome to Lilypod. We have an interesting topic today, I think, affecting the mid-singles community. And this isn't so much something that we see in terms of the way people behave as much as the way people think. And I saw this post on Facebook. Well, it wasn't a post. It was a comment on a post a month or two ago. It was in a singles group, right, Jeff? Yeah, and the person, uh, somebody made a negative comment, you know, Facebook post and about being single at midlife, and somebody wrote underneath it, "We're just the leftovers. Get used to it." And that's so sad, Jeff. <laughs> what did I, you think when you read that? Well, you know, when we think of leftovers, I think a lot of us think of food rotting in the refrigerator. Um, the stuff that nobody wanted, um, the crumbs from the kitchen floor of life, so to speak. We often think, uh, you know, think that somebody who's the leftovers or what's left after everybody already picked what they wanted. You know, it could be the undrafted free agents in a pro sports draft, you know, the people who were left over and, of course, very few of them make the team. Um, and so leftovers kind of left me with a uneasy or cold feeling. It, it kind of reminds me of when I hear mid singles described by some as the Island of misfit toys that somehow mid singles are a collection of everybody else's cast offs. And so I've pondered, is that, is that really true? Are we really the cast-offs? Kathy, what do you think? I think we can find evidence for any thought that we think. Of course. <laughs> so I, you know, I can see where people are coming from. I can see the frustration. I can understand why that might be the sentiment, but I don't think it's empowering. I certainly don't think it's helpful. Right. Because I can also see evidence to the contrary. And I see scriptural evidence to the contrary. Um, let me ask you a question, of course, rhetorically, but you can put it in comments on this show. Uh, are you less a child of God than you were before you got divorced or before your spouse died? Um, are you less valuable in the eyes of God now than you were when you were married, if you were? 
are you less valuable if you are single now and have never been married? Are you less valuable than those who have found the opportunity to marry? Now, my understanding of this is that uh, we are all God's children created in his image. And in fact, Paul taught in Romans that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and joint heirs with Christ, that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. And I think sometimes we forget who we are. Absolutely. I was just thinking about that word, forget. Right. That this seems to be a phenomenon among anyone who's experienced hardship, that it gives the adversary ammunition and opportunity to lie to us right about our value about who we are and nothing we experience in this life even none of the choices we make really diminish our divine potential ever we we love the story of joseph who was sold into egypt by his brothers and some of us have felt sold into egypt by people we loved spouses or whatever. And so question, was Joseph any less valuable as a human being because his brothers rejected him and sold him into Egypt? Well, we learn that everywhere he went, he prospered. He prospered as a slave in the house of Potiphar. He prospered even in prison. The, the, the prison master put him in charge of all the other inmates. And then, of course, he was raised up miraculously to become the second most powerful person in the whole country. Um, I wouldn't say that there was uh, any doubt that Joseph was just as valuable when he was rejected by his loved ones than he was when he was sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh. And we don't know his mind entirely, but I would bet that he experienced a lot of the same things we do when we have those adversities, when we feel rejected by our loved ones and wonder if that impacts our worth. I bet he felt a lot of that stuff. I'm sure. I, I'm sure that there were moments when he doubted his worth, where he questioned, you know, did I really see those visions or have those dreams that I, that I believed in, um, you know, why has God forsaken me? I mean, I, I think those would be natural thoughts to have. And I certainly felt thoughts like that when I was going through my divorce and felt like I had been, was an outcast from the people who I loved most. Uh, it's a very difficult thing for many of us, but we can be instructed by the story of Joseph that's included in scripture um, to be reassured that our trials may be leading to something wonderful and glorious and they don't diminish the uh, high esteem we're held in by our father in heaven. I want to read a passage from our book, Intentional Courtship. Incidentally, if you haven't bought it, if you don't have it, uh, you really should. If you're a mid-single, I think this is your book, and there's not another one like it. All right, on page 76 
of intentional courtship, there's a there's a quote by President John Taylor. He says, do you feel as though some dreadful calamity has happened to you? So ask yourself that. Do you feel like some dreadful calamity has happened to you? I, I think a lot of mid-singles feel that way. Have you forgot who you are? That's his next question after, do you feel like you've been struck with a calamity? His next question is, have you forgotten who you are and what your object is? Have you forgot that you profess to be saints of the Most High God, clothed upon with the Holy Priesthood? Have you forgot that you are aiming to become kings and priests to the Lord and, and queens and priestesses to him? I like that quote because it reminds us not only of who we are, but of who God has covenanted with us to, uh, to be. So God has covenanted to make us kings and, and queens, priests and priestesses, uh, if, you know, if we have uh, been to the temple. And uh, that's a very powerful thing. Now, uh, some some of you listening could have been through excommunication where that blessing has been withdrawn for a time. But even in your situation, there is a possibility. Uh, a, if you work toward it, there's a near certainty that you can be baptized and have all of your blessings restored. If you haven't yet been to the temple, this is something you can aspire to. But the foundational point of this, of course, applies to everyone. We're all children of God. We all have divine potential. We are all made in God's image. And, and for those that have made those covenants in the temple, uh, you have a promise of becoming kings and queens with numberless dominions throughout eternity. And so whatever the calamities of the present moment are, uh, just, just understand that they are not worthy of comparison to the glory that will someday be revealed in us. And a big part of getting past this idea that we're the leftovers, that we're not as good as the other members of the church, that there's not a place in the kingdom of God for us, you know, any of those thoughts, the, the shift begins with remembering who we are and what we have been promised. You know, I, um, I was thinking about intentional courtship and how we wrote it not only to offer empathy and understanding, and a lot of people who've read it have told us, you really get it because we've been there. We've been through it. Um, right. And and so they not only feel validated, but they've also said, this has given me more hope. Like for the first time in years, I feel hope again. And I don't think we necessarily intended this. We just tried to write the truth as we understand it. And I think there's also an element in throughout intentional courtship, all 20 chapters about remembering who we are. Right. That through all of our experience, whether it be widowhood, the loss of a loved one through death, 
divorce or even multiple divorces, um, the loss of a loved one through choice, um, or the opportunity to marry not being a blessing that we've received yet. Um, and I say yet always with that because no, nothing has turned out yet. Right. And, you know, Jeff, we were just talking the other day about how, you know, there was only, there was a lot of ways not to create a light bulb that happened before the light bulb was created. Right. And sometimes marriage is going to be like that. Sometimes we figure out the few people on this earth that didn't work with. That's it. That's all it is. Right. There are times when people who have been devoted members of the church for many years uh, develop a faith crisis and, uh, and may even decide to leave. Some marriages survive that. Some don't. I would not sit in judgment of anyone uh, for making either decision in that situation. Uh, my, my point is that uh, it's kind of like Elder Holland said, no one can block your exaltation. <clears throat> there is no one who, who even your spouse can stop you from attaining celestial glory. Um, if, if you have, uh, been found worthy of that through the atonement can't. of Jesus Christ. You, you said can't, right? Right. Yeah. Can't. No one can block our exaltation. So if you have a spouse that has uh, lost their faith, two things. Number one, that isn't necessarily forever. A lot of people leave the church and then later decide that this was the way they wanted. And I've seen that several times uh, with people. And the second uh, thought is that even if your spouse never chooses to come back, uh, provisions will be made for you by a loving father in heaven. And that's another thing that Elder Holland talks about. He says, when questions come up to which we don't know the answer, uh, to which God has not revealed the answer, then go with what you do know. And what you do know that God is merciful and just and loves you. And that's the remembering. That's right. really all we need to remember. Right. Um, and yet there's so much of life that can cause us to forget. Right. Is being a leftover, uh, is that imagery consistent with the idea that you are uh, a divine heir of heavenly parents, that you are anointed to become a king or a queen? I... Well, it depends on how you define leftover, because you wrote this wonderful article about this, this <clears throat> really important way of either seeing things or shifting the way we see things to, a, you know, something more beneficial for us. And there are several people who comment, I love leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> like they see leftovers as the thing that's already ready in the fridge to eat and that they are seasoned, you know, because the, all the flavors have melded together. I mean, have you ever noticed them sometimes like lasagna tastes better heated up Chili the second day? Chili better yep. the second day. Yeah. Fruit cake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's some things that just really do taste better kind of after it's been melded together. Right. And, um, 
and they see that as desirable. I personally have a shelf full of leftovers. That's what I live after all week long because I don't have a lot of time to cook. And so for me, leftovers are extremely desirable and well-seasoned. And this is why we called our podcast Seasoned and Desirable. Because no matter how you look at your situation, whether you think you're the leftovers or not, just make sure that whatever you're thinking about that leftover situation, right. that you're seeing yourself as seasoned and desirable. Um, or maybe, you know, you're just, you just don't relate to the leftovers because you hate leftovers. So definitely don't think of yourself as that, if that's the case. But um, I guess what I'm really getting at is that most of the mid singles I know in our love and later years community on Facebook and Instagram, the people that we've gotten to know, are incredibly amazing people. I mean, they've learned how to use the atonement to heal from very serious um, injustices. They've learned how to use the atonement to repent of maybe some serious sins that caused problems in a previous relationship. They have figured out how to overcome, how to heal from grief and how to proceed in life when life handed them something they didn't expect. I don't think any of us ever expect to be widowed or divorced. Like that's just, it takes us off guard. It throws us into almost a tailspin of uh, questions that, you know, are unanswered and unresolved. And um, I, Anyone who is doing personal work, and this is another thing that's really great about intentional courtship, is it's not just a dating book. It's about finding peace after loss and developing oneself so that you're in the best possible position to attract the best companion for you into your life. Right. And, you know, when I think about this, uh, many of you know that... I am Kathy's third husband. Uh, I don't consider her the leftovers from her first husband or second husband. Uh, I do view her as having been prepared to be with me in a unique way. And I consider myself having been prepared to be with her in a unique way. Uh, so it isn't like those experiences are all throwaway experiences that, oh, well, that marriage didn't work out. I guess that was a waste of time for 15 years or whatever. I'm sure at some points we did think that, right? Oh, I absolutely <laughs> thought that for a <laughs> yeah. long time. Right. And that's when we had a hard time healing. It took a lot longer than it needed to because of thoughts like that. And I prefer the thought that this is the way it was always going to turn out and that God had a plan for me. Uh, we went and saw uh, American, uh, what, what was it? American, American underdog. underdog. <clears throat> and it's a story about uh, Kurt Warner, the pro football quarterback that <clears throat> made an NFL team for the first time when he was 28 years old. And of course, was initially barely made made it. He was the the last quarterback, um, but he worked himself up into the backup position. And then, when the first string quarterback uh, had an injury, he was called upon and took his team to the Super Bowl, his very first year, and and they won. 
And, you know, before that, there's all these stories about how he was sort of consigned to playing semi-pro football in an arena league. And, you know, before that in college, he rode the bench for four out of the five years he was in school, uh, had a chance finally to play a little bit his senior year. And all the way along, he was the underdog. There was, you know, there was no chance for him. And his mother made the point, he was going to quit football. um, And his mother made the point, look, be grateful to God for your opportunity, even if it doesn't look like what you wanted. And look at the opportunity and continue to prepare so that when your moment comes, you will be ready. I love, love, love that. Because it's a perfect demonstration of success equaling preparation and opportunity meeting. Right. And his opportunities were fewer than most other professional quarterbacks that have made it to the Hall of Fame. His rise to uh, greatness was highly improbable, kind of like Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. And yet it happened. And... I also kind of liked that the last thing he said uh, in his Hall of Fame induction speech was, he said, I had a chance to stand on a stage like this in front of millions of people after we won the Super Bowl. And he said, I gave credit to a person for lots of things. And he said, I think people thought uh, that I was saying that God loved me more than others or that you know, God made other made the other team make more mistakes than they would have made. Or he says that was that was it all wrong. He said what it was was me being grateful for the moments that I had been given. And he said, you know, his last moment was for me, so my last moment is going to be for him. Thank you, Jesus. And I think that. Um, that encapsulates a number of things that that are important to remember when we think we're the cast-offs or the leftovers or the island of misfit toys. Um, Kurt Warner was looked at by a lot of people as a cast-off, as somebody who couldn't really make it, who couldn't really do it. And throughout all that time, sacking groceries literally and playing for hardly any money in an arena league uh, he, uh, he never forgot who he was. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said, yeah, you're a bum. You can't do it. You can't make it. If he had listened to all those voices, what would have happened? Where would he have ended up? Probably not in the pro football hall of fame. And that one moment, you know, when his mother really encouraged him to continue preparing and to be thankful for every opportunity, even that gratitude for the opportunity along with that effort to continue preparing that he took to heart is what I think attracted that opportunity. And he was ready when it came. Right. And the world was shocked. I don't think he was shocked. I don't even think his wife was shocked um, because he knew, he knew what uh, he had prepared to do and deep down who he was even though he had struggled a lot and had a lot to overcome. Uh, 
And I think, you know, you guys, a lot of you in our audience have struggled and have had the, the most precious things in your life taken from you. Uh, in many cases, without <clears throat> any input from you. And uh, yeah, you feel like a tragedy has, has befallen you, uh, like President John Taylor said. I want to impress upon you that that doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change the promises that have been made to you. Even if you messed up and that was the cause of the divorce and you own that, well, owning that is the first step in repentance, in change, and in receiving God's forgiveness uh, because we know that God is merciful. And if your spouse messed up, if you can not only learn how to forgive, that doesn't mean trust. It doesn't mean remarry them. It just means if you can forgive them and heal your heart and be willing to see whatever part you've played so that you can show up better in a future relationship, that's what gets you really ready to date and to create a, an even better relationship the next time. Right. And I think you may, in some cases, have to forgive 70 times seven uh, because things will continue to come up and the things that bothered you about your former spouse will, some of those will continue to bother you. And you might feel like you've forgiven and you might feel like you've healed the trauma and then you'll get triggered. And it's then at those times that we can, you can choose to put the rock back down, just like, um, that football player chose to continue preparing. Right. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a really important um, uh, point to make that, you know, if you have been cast off by a former spouse, <clears throat> that doesn't make you a cast off to the whole world. Um, it, it is, as Kathy often points out, your former spouse was one person in 8 billion. And although that person may have been very, very important to you, it's still just one person's opinion of you. And I actually talked to a coaching client about this recently, where we talked about his former wife's opinion of him and of their situation. And uh, we came to understand that most of these thoughts were just interpretations that it was turning him into a kind of cartoon character uh, instead of who he really is. And I think we often do that uh, when we think about, about other people. And I also think, especially former spouses, right. And I think in a way, if we accept the label of leftovers or cast offs or, or whatever specific thing your spouse might be saying, a former spouse might be saying about you. Right. We turn ourselves into cartoon characters. And I think I prefer if you're going to use the metaphor of leftovers, the, the way that Kathy explained it, that you're seasoned, you've learned a lot, or as I said, you have been prepared for your new partner, uh, your future partner in a unique way. And if you continue to learn from it and be open uh, to, to higher knowledge, it's going to result in, in having a, a future marriage that is more 
self-reflective, uh, more intentional, and uh, that's going to increase your level of happiness immeasurably. And that your desirability is intact no matter what has happened. Right. No matter if you've been cheated on a hundred times, no matter if you've been single your whole life, your desirability as a divine child of God is is intact no matter what happens, even no matter what you think. Although I do think our desirability goes up as we remember who we are. Right. And we show up as that divine person as much as we can. Right. You know, I'm, Kathy, I'm a little amazed sometimes, but in every life on this earth, because we live in a fallen world, everybody's going to receive some trials. Uh, my parents lost a child. Your parents lost a child as well. Uh, as a result, we each lost siblings, um, and these weren't newborn babies either. They were, you know, practically, in my brother's case, he was 17, I think, similar in age to Kathy's sister that was lost. Well, those were were difficult trials. Now, neither set of our parents got divorced, uh, but, uh, you know, nobody looks at me because my brother died and says, you have no place in the kingdom of God. I certainly didn't look at myself in that situation and think, because my brother died, I have no place in the kingdom of God, or I'm just a leftover because my brother died. Well, no, no. of course not. No, we're so, always a lot more empathetic and understanding of human loss. Uh, like when people pass, uh, we have funerals, we show up with casseroles. We, you know, we do things to celebrate that life and there's no judgment in it. Absolutely. But, you know, there may be some judgments, I guess, about how somebody died. Typically, we don't see that. Most of the time when somebody passes, we're very, um, you know, we're very compassionate, bringing dinners and things like that. But we have uh, a different attitude for some reason when someone goes through the trial of losing a, a spouse to divorce, uh, we we tend to think that there's a there must be some sort of a issue of evil or wrongdoing or something in that uh, divorce, that, and therefore it needs to be defined as to who's at fault. And that right, if I if I give compassion to the to the wrongdoer then maybe I'm doing wrong. Well, well, and that's, you know, assuming that there is someone to blame. Right. Usually there there's fault on both sides. Like president Hinckley used to say that you can't slice a piece of cheese so thin that it doesn't have two sides. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I did not know about that. <laughs> that's funny. But uh, yeah, I, even if, if there's something terrible one spouse did to the other, there's always, it's a dance. That's something I've heard a therapist say. It's a dance um, between two people and only those two people. And even those two people are going to have different interpretations than each other. So um, I don't even know that any divorce can ever be seen completely accurately. And, and by the way, friends, 
most people whose marriages don't end in divorce also have fault on both sides uh, for whatever problems they have encountered. And, you know, we know from statistics that um, happy marriages tend to be more rare than we would like. And, uh, and why is that? Whose fault is it? Well, is it really ours to judge? Uh, <clears throat> I think really our job when we see people going through such painful experiences is to have compassion uh, and minister to both of them without having to sort out who was right and who was wrong. Yeah, and we definitely encourage um, people to do that, um, to to love both parties, because there really doesn't have to be a picking side of sides. You know, we can be respectful of both. And um, we even encourage people to be respectful of their former spouses and their former in-laws and the way they talk about them respectfully. Um, you know, even if there's some hard feelings, that respect can, I think, help us feel more self-respect too. Right. And, um, you know, I, I was just thinking any judgments that are ever placed on how or why someone passes is kind of like the judgments placed on divorce. It's whenever there's human agency involved, uh, you know, if, if someone was murdered or if they took their own life, you know, those are the kinds of things we might judge, um, you know, or if somebody's on life support and they get taken off and should that decision have been made, you know, all that kind of stuff. It seems like whenever human agency is involved, we start thinking we need to judge it rather than be compassionate. And I, I would dare say most of the time, everyone just needs our love and support and um, our understanding as much as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's, there's sort of an element in this of um, what's the right, the right way to, to say this. I, I think many people who haven't been through this, well, I'm going to say it a different way. I'm going to say many people who have been through divorce understand the law of agency in a way that most other people don't. Most of us think agency is a divine gift and it is, it is, but, but it has a dark side because people can use it to hurt us and God isn't going to stop that from happening. Now, I think many people delude themselves into thinking if I exercise my agency, right, if I'm a good husband or a good wife and I am nice to my spouse, they won't leave. And look, they haven't left so far. And then when they do, whoa, it hits you like a ton of bricks that I missed something there. And, you know, if, if you were in that situation where you judged other people and you have now realized that, no, other people's agency can really be used to bring down the hammer on you and it hurts. Well, you have gained from that experience a little bit of the seasoning that Kathy was talking about. Uh, and that seasoning hopefully includes more compassion for other people who suffer than you may have had before, um, more broad-mindedness about the things that make people unhappy with their lives. And if you don't want to have to learn it the hard way, and if you have the blessed, fortunate opportunity to not have to learn it the hard way, you can offer that compassion simply by recognizing that loss is loss. That's Whether right. it's a choice or not. Right. 
you know, I, I just wanted to kind of wrap up this program, um, going back to that movie we watched American underdog. And, um, if you haven't seen it, it's a really great likeness to the, the characters of, of the people that were played, um, not just like the physical attributes, but also their mannerisms. And, um, I guess he and his wife, they, they spend a lot of time on set. Yes, they did. Explaining to the actors and actress and actor who played them um, how they felt in the moments that they were portraying. And I thought it was amazing, like um, amazingly well done. Um, but I remember back in their early days when he first met her, she said, you're not going to want me. I'm a divorced single mom of two kids and, right. and left. He showed up the next day with a flower <laughs> in a rose in his hand. And wanting said, to meet the kids. Yeah, wanting to meet the kids. And there were a lot of instances where she responded to him with a cold shoulder because she said, I have trauma from my, my losing my first spouse through divorce, from being cheated on, from being left. I don't trust very easily. And he didn't give up as you know, just like he didn't give up on his football dream, even when he was getting turned down after turned down after turned down with her, he did the same thing. He didn't let her off the hook that easy. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, fine, go, you know, be traumatized, divorced, single mom. You know, he's like, I'm going to keep showing up until you trust me. In fact, he even said that, <laughs> The fact that she was an ex-Marine and a divorced single mother of two made her more interesting to him. And she had kind of a strange haircut and he thought that made her interesting. And yeah, he loved everything about the situation, including her children. Right. So you just, you never know who's going to show up in your life and love exactly who you are. Right. And that person will look at the experiences you've been through and instead of thinking, uh, you know, your your um, your leftovers, they're going to look at you and say they're seasoned exactly like I like. Mm -hmm. And I know Jeff treats me every day like I am the person he's always been meant to be with. That you know, we just had this winding on straight path to each other. And, you know, we've even talked about, well, what if we'd met earlier in life? Well, um, first of all, our age difference would make that weird because <laughs> <laughs> we're about 12 years apart. Um, and second of all, um, we wouldn't have been ready in the way that we were prepared. Right. And, you know, people could, you hear often people say, you know, don't ever say that abuse was something God wanted for people. Well, I don't claim to know the mind of God well enough to, to know what he's thinking about everything. Uh, what I do know is that sometimes, our, you know, I mean, I, I think it was pretty abusive that Joseph's brothers uh, faked his death, sold him as a slave, and sent him off into a foreign land where he didn't know anyone. And God loves Joseph, so I'm sure his heart hurt for for his trial, for his pain through that. Right. But then when he forgives his brothers in the end, he tells them, don't be mad at yourselves because you did this. Because really, it wasn't you that did it. It was God, that God had sent me hither 
for the preservation of life. And so I think even, you know, however you choose to see your path, um, I think you can know that God can take any poisonous experience like that and turn it into something beautiful. Absolutely. And we sure hope for beauty in your life as you see yourself as seasoned and desirable and ready for love. I agree. And with that said, we remind you that anytime is a great time for more love in your life. We'll talk to you next time. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.